0: Your film is now ready to be shown. Good morning. I'm Justin Hendricks, editor of Tech Policy Press, a nonprofit media and community venture intended to provoke new ideas, debate, and discussion at the intersection of technology and democracy. That was the sound of supporters of former Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro as they assaulted a lone police officer on horseback who stood in their way as they pursued their assault on the Brazilian capital just under a week ago. In this video, one of thousands posted to social media. The protesters are seen attacking the officer with sticks and flagpoles, and they even beat his horse. These scenes looked almost like a sequel to footage from the January 6th attack on the US Capitol just two years ago. But there is more than just an aesthetic relationship between these events. Some of the same figures were involved in promoting lies about the Brazilian election that pushed the big lie that Donald Trump was the rightful victor in the 2020 US election. And there were similar dynamics on social media that helped produce the crowd in the first place. To learn more about the connection between US and Brazilian election disinformation, as well as how the attack on Brazil's capital may spur regulation of the tech firms there, I spoke with a prominent Brazilian journalist who's been covering these issues for years.
1: Patricia Campos Melo. I'm a reporter at large and columnist at Folha de São Paulo that's a leading newspaper in Brazil.
0: Patricia, just for my listeners, can you give them a little canned history of your career there in Brazil? I met you in the context of your work at Columbia University where you've been in the year or so leading up to this current Brazilian election. Just give folks a little sense of, uh, you know, some of the hot water you've got yourself into down there.
1: Oh, yeah. When we met, I was working on a research project at Columbia University at the Tao Center about political disinformation and, and basically about everything that was going on uh, since uh, Jair Bolsonaro was inaugurated in Brazil in terms of influence operations and disinformation campaigns. And I have been covering this information uh, and the use of technology to sort of manipulate public opinion since 2014, when I started covering elections in several countries and mainly in India, the US and Brazil. And I started to see there were so many uh, similar strategies that these populist leaders were using uh, in terms of using uh, personal data of the voters and, you know, social media And then in Brazil in 2018, we actually investigated the use of mass messaging, bulk messaging in the WhatsApp messaging app with disinformation and propaganda during the campaign for the 2018 presidential election. And at that time, uh, we just thought everything was organic. And then we just found out that there were actually, how can I say that? It was not troll factories, but it was like, assembly lines in marketing agencies, just mass messaging voters, uh, micro-targeting the messages, and spreading all kinds of uh, disinformation and negative campaigning and all that stuff. And because of that, I started uh, being a target. Uh, I, myself, as many other journalists in in the U.S. and in Brazil, of disinformation campaigns, including by the president, uh, Jair Bolsonaro, and it was very crazy to think, I mean, before covering you know, this information, I used to be a foreign correspondent, a war correspondent. So I've been covering conflicts in Syria, in Libya, in Iraq, and you name it. And I never felt what I felt when I was here in my own country, democratic country, covering the elections, because they were targeting people personally, sending uh, death threats uh, to my family and and to many other uh, journalists, mainly women in Brazil. So having said that, I kept on covering influence operations in the Brazilian government. And after uh, Bolsonaro was inaugurated, it became very professional and very sophisticated. And most of all, it's a copy. I can't say it's a copy, but it is. It's not even creative to what uh, Donald Trump was doing in the U.S. I mean, he he would follow all the steps that Trump took in the U.S.
0: So let's talk about what's happened here most recently. Of course, uh, Jair Bolsonaro was defeated and has left the country and is apparently hanging out, perhaps uh, not too far uh, from Donald Trump in Florida But his supporters, of course, chose to storm uh, government facilities in Brasilia on January 8th, just uh, two years after a similar event occurred, of course, in the United States. Um, Can you just give a brief update for my American and European listeners? What is happening now? What's the sort of latest on the ground there with regard to the attack?
1: Sure. I just wanted to start by saying that this is the result of four years or actually two years of sowing doubts about the integrity of the electoral process. Uh, A few days after January 6, 2021, so a few days after the capital invasion, uh, Jair Bolsonaro said, if we don't change the electoral system in Brazil, something very similar is going to happen in Brazil. So, I mean, he warned. <laughs> it's not like uh, he did something he did, he 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 didn't say he was going to do. So what we had in uh, on Sunday, the eighth uh, January eighth, two thousand twenty three, in Brasilia, uh, Brazil's uh, capital, was basically January 6th, the the capital invasion. Let's say times three or times four. On the one hand, there were no deaths. I mean, no no one got. No one died because of the storming of the um, Congress and the presidential palace and the Supreme Court in Brazil and like in the U.S. where you had people who died. But that happened because policemen and security forces actually uh, were taking selfies uh, with the protesters, the violent protesters, they actually supported the protesters and they didn't try to uh, prevent them from uh, breaking into all the places and stealing everything they stole and, and doing all that. So we had on Sunday, thousands of people invading, breaking into Congress, presidential palace, the Supreme Court. They destroyed a huge part of all furniture and the art, I mean, all the art they had there, they, for instance, they ripped a very famous painting that is worth seven million reais, which is basically like $1 million. And this is just one uh, artwork that they destroyed. Uh, They also stole or destroyed almost 1,000 computers. Uh, They literally defecated on the top of, you know, on top of tables. They peed everywhere, you name it. So they did all that. (sighs)
0: This has been referred to in uh, some media ports I've seen almost as a kind of tantrum that uh, this attack, you know, could have served in no way to stop the transfer of power, which has already occurred. What are the theories that were driving this activity? Was this just a sort of expression of anger? What are the underlying kind of concerns that these individuals, you know, are expressing? And what was the redress? What did they think could possibly happen?
1: That's what's most ridiculous about it, because January 6th in the U.S. had a meeting, right? It was the day that Congress was going to certify the election results. So in Brazil, January 8th has no meaning because, you know, it's already done. Uh, Lula is the president and there's no way to reverse. But what they were actually expecting is uh, armed forces to join efforts to, you know, help them to basically have a coup d'etat. So this is, there's two things. One thing, they they have this very distorted interpretation of the Brazilian constitution that the armed forces supposedly have the power to mediate in unstable situations in the country, which is a distorted uh, interpretation. So they are uh, calling on the armed forces and other security forces to help them overthrow the elected president. But yes, it was sort of a tantrum because... I mean, there's very little hope that that would ever happen. However, that's what's very interesting. Jair Bolsonaro literally fled the country. He said he was on a vacation, but he left on uh, January 30th so that he wouldn't have to be, uh, you know, in the inauguration ceremony just like Trump did. And the Secretary of Security for the district where Brasília is based, also left the country two days before uh, January 8th. So both of them were not in the country and they were using the sort of QAnon sort of, you know, it's like, oh, signals and in, in his poti- postings and, and, and publications on social media. So it's never obvious. It's always enough to incite his supporters to violence or to invade, but also not enough to uh, criminalize him. It's the, the plausible deniability thing. He always does that and some other people do that. So this is one thing, right? I mean, he, he's using all this uh, signals and, and QAnon sort of thing to uh, keep the, the base, uh, his uh, supporters inflamed or um, mobilized. At the same time, there's one point where these leaders and, and Bolsonaro uh included, and I think maybe Trump sort of don't have entire control over the mob. Uh so I, I understand because it's really very bad to uh Bolsonaro politically what happened on January 8th. There's nothing good that can come out of it. And still it happened. And and it's sort of okay, so he needs to keep his radical base mobilized. But at some point, it just gets out of control and you have all these people, you know, um, invading Congress and, and, and presidential palace.
0: You know, you've mentioned this sort of like dog whistles, uh, as we might refer to them, to the base to keep them mobilized, uh, even in his absence. Um, and you've mentioned the sort of disinformation about the role of the military, which, by the way, uh, there were a lot of those types of ideas uh, circulating among uh, the January 6th protesters as well in the U.S., what else? What are the other kind of key theories being spread? I understand that the Dominion voting systems conspiracy theory that was popularized in the U.S. has also made its way there. Are there other threads and thrans that are, are peculiar to Brazil or similar?
1: The things that are very similar um, in the U.S., it was it started with the mail-in voting. And, and I mean, Trump tried to sabotage or, you know, prevented from getting easier for people to vote. And in Brazil, the whole thing was about, okay, so you cannot trust electronic voting machines because they don't have a print receipt. But we've had these electronic voting machines since 1996, and there was never any uh, evidence of widespread fraud. So first was this okay so without a print receipt uh of you know your vote it's going to be fraudulent uh then there's also that the electoral authorities were actually uh siding with left wing politicians so electoral authorities were manipulating and there was an algorithm I mean, and this was spread, I think, in Steve Bannon's uh, radio show. He mentioned that the the thing that in the beginning, you know, the vote counting seemed that Bolsonaro was going to win and then it changed. And this is very obvious because, as we know, and in the US as well, it depends on where you're counting in each state. Right. But they use this to say that somehow there was an algorithm that proved that there was fraud. Uh, They just changed the vote counting midway. Uh, So this is the other thing what's happening now is after they stormed Brasilia and after all the violence, now of course they have two narratives. One is that left-wing agitators were infiltrated, so basically uh, the people who committed all the the violent acts were not the bolsonaristas or patriots as they call themselves, but it it was like workers party supporters and and left-wing people uh, disguised as patriots. So this is everywhere you have like on, on, we are monitoring public WhatsApp groups and telegram groups and channels, and you have all kinds of pictures, manipulated pictures showing, oh, you see this guy is the same guy who is here uh, next to president Lula or this guy. So you have all these manipulations. And the second thing is over a thousand people were arrested after the violence uh, in on sunday and now they're saying that these people are being held in inhumane uh, conditions and it's the the word they use is concentration camps and even the jewish organizations here in brazil already protested saying you know this is very uh, Uh, offensive to uh, Jewish people. Uh, So they're saying, okay, so we are all in these concentration camps and people are being killed. And then they have this information of people who were supposedly died in custody. And one of them is this one old lady that her picture was in the, um, how do you say those public, uh, not public, when you buy pictures from a a data bank.
0: She was was a uh, stock photo.
1: Yes, stock photos. So they took this picture and she, coincidentally, she passed away three months ago. So this was the picture that was, you know, going viral, all messaging groups. And they were sharing this picture. Oh, this poor old lady, she died in the concentration camp. She was a patriot. Well, turns out she had passed away three months ago and her granddaughter uh, was, you know, denouncing all this. So... Yeah, we have these uh, narratives uh, spreading at this point.
0: I mean, you know, as a observer from the US, you know, on some level, you don't want to overstate the similarities between what happened here and what happened in Brazil. And yet hearing you talk about this, the similarities are so striking. Um, And of course, it's the case that, you know, reporters, including yourself, are looking at the role of individuals like Steve Bannon Uh, Donald Trump himself, former advisors like Jason Miller, uh, who's now, you know, running the platform getter and has visited Brazil uh, in advance of the election. You know, there there appears to be a real nexus with the kind of right wing in the US and a kind of, you know, a back and forth or a a sieve, if you will, of messaging between right wing uh, interests here in the United States and and there in Brazil. Tell me, how is that being kind of looked at? Uh, I understand there's a kind of group of Brazilian lawmakers who've been in touch with uh, lawmakers in the U.S., including Benny Thompson, who was the chairman of the January 6th committee. Um, There's a real effort to kind of look at this nexus.
1: There were several conspiracy theories that, in fact, Steve Bannon and his allies were financing all the bolsonarista groups in Brazil and all the disinformation campaigns. And that started all those theories started to um, circulate like three years ago but what is not a conspiracy theory is that they are emulating uh, what was done in the U.S. and they are communicating often very frequently with Steve Bannon uh, with Jason Miller uh, and with other uh, Trump allies about strategies communication strategies so if you followed uh, and we did Steve Bannon's uh, radio show and also some uh, appearances by um, some reporters who used to be with Project Veritas they were just saying everything and and describing you know so this is what's happening and you have people who are protesting I mean they were contributing to the narrative and and basically giving it's not giving guidelines, but reinforcing this narrative. And of course, there were several meetings. Uh, one was before, right before, actually, right after the election or before the election, not sure now. Uh, I mean, Eduardo Bolsonaro, who's the... Uh, President, one of President Bolsonaro's son, and he's also the guy who represents the CPEC, the Conservative Political Action Committee here in Brazil. He holds an annual CPEC meeting here, and he had over Jason Miller, I mean, so many other people uh, from the, the Trump movement. So and they go often, they meet often with all these advisors. Jason Miller has been several times to Brazil. And of course they are sharing experience, uh, experiences, they're sharing you know, strategies. So that's not a conspiracy theory, it's the reality. You can see how they reinforce each other all the time and how uh, the Brazilians, uh, the extreme right in, in Brazil is basically emulating and, and gaining strength from the extreme right in the US. And now you have uh, legislators in the US Well, some of them are asking for uh, Bolsonaro's visa to be revoked because basically he entered the country on a diplomatic visa, a chief of state visa, which he no longer is a chief of state. The other is for him to be investigated by the FBI. That's the latest. And the other thing is also that they're cooperating with the January 6th commission, the Congressional Commission, to help us to investigate this. Because the one thing that has to happen is accountability. And one of the things the legislators here, uh, actually the uh, law enforcement officials here in Brazil are dealing with is how do you link years, months, weeks of disinformation campaigns and people, actually political leaders inciting supporters to commit violent acts, not to accept election results to them being guilty of what happened on January 8th. How do you do this link? How do you make this link, right? This is a challenge. That's
0: a challenge, uh, of course, not just in Brazil, but around the world when these types of events have resulted in large groups of people engaging in violent acts. Um, Let me ask you about the response so far from the mainstream platforms. Um, You know, of course, in the United States, after January 6th, there were immediate moves to deplatform Donald Trump. Uh, There was a purge of accounts related to QAnon. On multiple platforms, there was, you know, an extraordinary focus on extremism and uh, incitement to violence, and trying to limit the the spread of messages that might inflame further violence. Certainly, uh, at least until the transition occurred on January twentieth. What has been the response of the major platforms in Brazil? Do you feel they have a presence
1: in the beginning of the year? While I was at Colombia, I I did. Uh, report, comparing everything, all the moderation policy changes, the platforms had made in the US on uh, for the 2020 presidential election and, and the campaign, and we know that was not enough, and what they were doing in Brazil. And it was really, really ridiculous. I mean, in Brazil they couldn't care less. Basically they, some of them like TikTok simply translated the moderation, the civic integrity policy saying, you know, you cannot lie about mail-in voting. We don't have mail-in voting in Brazil. Or YouTube had rules about, okay, uh, they were gonna remove or downgrade uh, videos that had false allegations about the US elections or the German presidential election, 2021 presidential elections. But not the Brazilian elections, the 2014 and 2018, which were being used as part of the narrative saying, "Okay, so these were already rigged. Uh, So they weren't doing anything. Also, like Google. Uh, Google had the transparency report that they have. It's like the, the ad library, the Facebook ad library in so many countries, but not in Brazil. So we could not follow. Okay, so who's spending money on ads? Who's paying for those ads? So they only, they started having uh, the ad, the um, transparency report in Brazil, like all with details and complete in June, 2022. I mean, in the middle of the campaign. So basically, and then, so the civil society and electoral authorities uh, put pressure on them and it got a little better. You know, YouTube finally in August started removing content and videos you know, with false allegations about fraud in the 2018 and 2014 elections. And then Meta, finally, I think right after, yes, in the beginning of November, right after the second round, Meta started to remove allegations. I mean, people calling for a coup d'etat or military intervention. So they were removing this. YouTube was not doing that. So unless you had like a very obvious call for violence, You can have, you know, all your videos up saying, yeah, it was, you know, it was not fair and now we need the military. So this is all. I mean, if you go, you log into YouTube, it's all there. So, so far as a direct consequence of January 8th, what has happened is Meta has started to remove publications inciting violence or uh, related to January 8th or any sort of, you know, calling for a coup d'etat. YouTube did not change its policy at all. Uh, I mean, last time they changed its policy officially, I think, was in August 2022, when they finally started to remove false allegations about 2014 elections. And, And now, I mean, of course, since we have official results of the 2022, false allegations about the 2022 elections are also removed. But they are not doing anything about all this content that is circulating, asking, for instance, for new protests or for people... People are now calling uh, like the, the hardcore Bolsonaro supporters for a general strike in Brazil, you know, like stop everything. So the truck drivers stop and this is circulating uh, on social media and this is not being dealt with. I mean, the, the social media, the platforms are not doing anything about it. And the other thing is they just destroyed or damaged power uh, transmission towers. Also, they're not doing anything about this. Or uh, few refineries, they're also calling, not doing anything about this. The only thing that they had to do, electoral authorities in Brazil, they've been very, it's controversial. Uh, on the one hand, people feel that were it not for the electoral authorities forcing platforms to remove certain contents, uh, the elections would be absolutely like a... a A horrible festival of disinformation would be like a case study for the world of how you can distort an election with disinformation. On the other hand, there are abuses by the electoral authorities and they are being authoritarian in several cases. So one of the things that they issued orders is to block several Telegram groups, Telegram channels and WhatsApp public groups. And they are doing this and Telegram and, and WhatsApp, they are blocking those after January 8th, Uh, so basically, yeah, I think it's pretty much meta, and and, uh, TikTok did not announce anything, and and TikTok, I mean, they have their their civic integrity policy, but we don't know anything about enforcement, and what we do know is that all the videos that were not supposed to be there, you know, calling for violence, they're still there, so yeah, and here there's another one that is quite uh, it's K-W-A-Y that is hugely popular with the very low-income people. They uh, Most of them use KWAI and TikTok. And also, I mean, enforcement, it's just uh, there's no transparency. We don't know what they're doing, what they're not doing.
0: I understand there are already some stirrings of potential tech and social media reform measures in response to January 8th or in part inspired by uh, the events of that day. What's on the table? What's likely to happen? Uh, Is there a chance that the government will overreact?
1: Oh, yes. (laughs) There is a chance that the government will overreact. Congress has been trying to approve uh, legislation that is called, it's it's been, it's like the nickname is the fake news uh, bill, since February 2020 or March 2020. It got stuck uh, in the Senate. Uh, They couldn't approve it. Uh, Legislation had I mean, a few very positive aspects and a few very negative aspects. Among them, it would give immunity to office holders, uh, to moderation policy. A bit similar to the Florida and the, the Texas legislation that you guys have. So now the new government has a very different view. I mean... They're both uh, the Bolsonaro government extreme right and the PT government center left they all think that has, there has to be regulation. Uh there's no the you know uh, no regulation view is that that used to be the right wing view. So the new government they're doing several things at the same time. One they have a new secretary for digital policies that is going to suggest policy changes, reforms. And I understand they're gonna work together with Congress to propose uh, new legislation because as it is, we do not have legislation. I mean, the only thing we have is our um, Marco Civil da Internet, civil mark of the internet from 2014, which is partly inspired by section 230 of the Decency and Communications Act. It's it's partly, it doesn't have the Good Samaritan part, uh, but that's the only thing. So as in the U.S., uh, we are discussing how to increase the liability of the Internet platforms. So uh, one of the things they're discussing is uh, legislation inspired in the Digital Services Act and the Digital Markets Act, which would be a very good thing because it's something that is being tested and not something that they're just creating out of nothing like the previous legislation which there was a big danger that we would end up with you know singapore malaysia laws that actually criminalize regular people using the internet so if they do indeed get inspired and and, and get some I mean guidance for from the European legislation, which is the same thing as they did with our uh, privacy legislation. They got lots of stuff from the GDPR. I am positive that we are going to have regulation this year, and I think the platforms. I mean, people I speak to, the policy people, they know. You know, you can't avoid regulation anymore. So now the thing is, what kind of regulation? And 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 there's this danger that among the public uh, pressure and, and, and public opinion that, you know, against those hooligans and, and violence, you might end up with dangerous piece of regulation, I think. I hope not.
0: Something that limits free expression unduly or puts requirements on the platforms that uh, potentially force them into an untenable position with regard to what content they can host. Yes. How will you continue to cover this? What's next for you?
1: Well, I'm going to be covering regulation and the way, I mean, I have been covering the fake news bill since 2020. This is something I'm going to keep on doing. And now that there's this specific secretary part of government that is going to be dealing with this, with regulation and with enforcement of uh, moderation policy, I'm also going to be covering this. And, you know, from all sides, civil society, uh, the platforms, the users to see, what kind of legislation we end up with. I think we are more in the European uh, momentum for regulation than the US, which I'm not sure, I'm not a specialist, you are, but I'm not sure what kind of regulation, if any regulation you guys are gonna have, because it takes forever, right? I mean, the free freedom of expression thing, it's, it's very strong, which is good, but still. So I think we we are definitely gonna have regulation, I'm gonna be covering this, and I'm also gonna be covering, there's one thing that is very depressing, if I was just looking at an analysis today of social media movements and who's posting and who what's gaining traction, uh, the extreme right is so much stronger than the rest of the ecosystem, right? So right after what happened on Sunday 8th, you would expect, you know, people protesting or criticizing all the violence. No, what you have on social media is either people saying, the current president is to blame. There were left-wing infiltrators uh, or, you know, right-wing narratives. Uh, this is what's dominating social media. So left-wing, and in this case, reality is definitely losing because they, they you know, they're not dominating social media ecosystem.
0: In many ways, feels like another close call uh, for a major democracy. Incredible to think hundreds of millions of people you know in these nations uh and 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 real chaos at the seat of government i hope uh we won't see anything like that in brazil uh, or certainly in the united states uh, any time again in the future but unfortunately it seems likely we'll see it in some other democracy
1: i know it's it's very very sad i mean i would never expect that neither the us or the or brazil would be going through something like that and what's even scarier is that after everything that happened on Sunday 8th, people were saying that the people who destroyed Congress and presidential palace, they are the victims and they are now in concentration camps. And this is the narrative that dominates social media. I mean, how, to what extent can you distort reality? That's, that's very scary.
0: Patricia, thank you so much for speaking to me about this today.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: That's it for this episode. I hope you'll send us your feedback. You can write to me at Justin justin@techpolicy.press at or find us on Twitter at techpolicypress. Thanks to my guest. Thanks to my co-founder Brian Jones. Thank you for listening. Tech Policy Press.